Hey, I'm Pop Runkle, and for as long as I can remember, I've loved pop culture. Despite the challenges I've faced in my life, pop culture has always been there for me. I love talking to people and being a platform for others to share their thoughts stories. Because if there's one thing I never get tired of, it's seeing driven, talented, and inspiring individuals follow their dreams, no matter what obstacles are in their way. And I know a thing or two about that. Welcome to the DJ Bob Show. I'm DJ Bob. Roll it. This next conversation was a conversation that I needed to have. I'm joined by Justin Roberts, Grammy-nominated children's artist and just an all-around wonderful guy. We talk with him about his fantastic album Space Cadet, his pop culture influences, Schoolhouse Rock, how he demos music, and tons of other stuff. I really love this conversation, and I can't wait to show it to you. Let's roll it! So, for those who don't know you, would you mind giving a little bit of an elevator pitch of who you are and what you've done over the years? Yes, I am Justin Roberts, and I have been uh, making kids music for over 20, I think 25 years at this point. But I got started, I was playing in a band after college and I was living in Minneapolis and I started working as a preschool teacher, a Montessori teacher, and I started singing songs for kids and uh, eventually writing songs for kids. And I made an album uh, in 1997 called Great Big Sun. And I was not planning on being a children's musician. I just wanted to record the songs that I'd written at the preschool. And that record kind of took off on its own and made me uh, consider becoming a children's musician. And so after that, I made a record called Yellow Bus. And um, now this many years later, I just put out my 16th album, which is Space Cadet, which came out uh, last July. But uh, it's been a, a crazy fun time. And, you know, a lot of traveling around, mostly the United States with my band, the Not Ready for Naptime Players and, uh, and just uh, making music for kids and families to enjoy. What is something that you wish people knew about what you do, like a common misconception? Um, I mean, I guess, you know, being an independent musician, uh, it's kind of been all word of mouth of people finding out about me. So I guess, uh, you know, more people discovering the music would be a great, a great thing. Um, and I'm thinking of like a, a common misconception. I think a misconception about children's music in general is that um, it is uh, only, you know, simple and only meant for children to enjoy. I think there's a lot of great music that is really simple and directed towards kids, but I think there's also musicians making records in a whole bunch of different genres and making real high quality music. And so I just kind of wish more people would realize that children's music has a whole world to discover. 
And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you, because I know a great deal about kick music, but I also am a pop guy and a rock guy and, like, cool an indie guy. So, nice. like, your music kind of melds all those things together for me. What What are some of the groups that you like in that indie pop rock world? Like, I love, like, Death Cat for Cutie. Oh, yeah. Like, and like just like even something like rem like yeah. a lot of my stuff that i'm interested in, i'm 28 but people go to me and they're like how do you know this stuff so well just because it's so interesting you know yeah that well so i grew up listening to rem and my first band which was uh in high school uh i started a band that was an original band, but it was basically me with a Rickenbacker uh, playing arpeggiated chords like Peter Buck and mumbling lyrics uh, like Michael Stipe. And I started a band just because I loved R.E.M. so much. So that uh, that's funny that that's one of the bands you mentioned. And then Death Cab for Cutie, one of the greatest compliments I got was, I don't know if you know my song Sandcastle that's on Yeah, that I do. But somebody heard that. I mean, I think it has a lot of Beach Boys elements to the melody, obviously. But someone heard that and they're like, oh, that sounds like a Death Cab for Cutie song. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. Because I love yeah. it. Yeah. So what is the hardest part for you about being a creative in the social media age? That's a great question. Uh, I have a lot of trouble keeping up with that stuff. I don't really like having to be my own promoter <laughs> um and uh it's hard to like do that authentically and feel like i mean i i much preferred you know i've been doing this long enough so i can kind of remember prior to all the social media stuff and i really preferred taking the time to create a full album and you know recording it and putting it out and then promoting it while i would tour and sort of get people to know about it through that um, and maybe more traditional outlets like at the time newspapers and magazines that people would read stories about the record. Um, and now you have to kind of be constantly bombarding people with content. And I find that to be, um, it doesn't fit well with the time it takes to really write a song that I'm proud of. And I need, I need a lot of alone time to do that, you know, I can't be constantly taking pictures with people and <laughs> trying to promote it on social media. Totally. Yeah. So this new record is a wonderful body of work. I mean, she got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited by it. I really, it was, you know, the record I made before it, which was a really personal record that was about becoming a dad, uh, and I didn't really even want to make that record. It's just the songs that came out at the time. I was trying to make a big record with my band, like Space Cadet ended up being uh, primarily. And uh, and so it was really fun to get back into the studio, especially with the pandemic and everything, um, not even being able to play with my band for a period of time. And then uh, getting back into the studio and recording big pop songs with tons of you know, every instrument I could imagine. And I got to work with some people I'd never worked with before, like 
Jason Adeshevitz, who's an amazing jazz vibe player that I just love his his playing, and he played on it. And Megan McNeil, who's a soul R and B singer from Chicago that I recently worked with, sang on it. And uh, you know, the band that I've worked with forever, and Nora O'Connor, who's sang on Fruit Jar and other songs of mine because I love her voice. I sang a duet with her. So yeah, it was just a blast to be back with people in a studio. So what is your process as far as like demoing the song? That's a, also a great question. Um, so around the time of Meltdown, I started recording, uh, writing songs more on a computer. Um, definitely more fully by Popfly and Lullaby and Recess and all those. I used to write songs primarily on acoustic guitar you know, just sitting with a guitar and writing the song. And then I started sitting down with Logic and sometimes starting with a drum beat or a bass line, or in the case of Lullaby, you know, a string quartet, you know, just tapping out the melodies on a keyboard and uh, kind of using the computer to help me write the song. And that way, if I hear a melody in my head, I can sing it on top of it or I can add the instrument that I want to play it and I get demos that sound like unprofessional, but sound like the recordings, I would say, um, in terms of all the parts. And then I'll play it for my band and I'll say, you don't have to play what I played, but if you like it, you can play it. And sometimes my drummer will be like, I really like that drum part. You know, I'm going to kind of play that or he's, or he'll add his own thing. Um, you know, same thing with Jackie on bass and Liam on Liam adds a lot of his own electric guitars and things like that. But, uh, and then we, you know, hire real musicians to play the parts that I've plucked out on the keyboard. So, you know, if there's a string quartet on the demo, we'll get a string quartet to play it. And when you have human beings playing that really know what they're doing, it just sounds amazing and beautiful. So the demos are kind of my way of writing the song and, and working out the parts. And then we go into the studio and try to make it sound great. Yeah, because as a creative myself, I've been doing this podcast for for over 13 years. Wow. And I'm 20 and now I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. So I've watched different iterations of things happen and grow over time. So I'm always interested in hearing the nuts and bolts of it all, which I'm sure you don't get a lot as far as these conversations go. So. Yeah, I mean, no one really thinks about that. I usually, sometimes I I have to introduce that as an idea, but no one asks, how do you demo out the songs? <laughs> that's, a, that's a real direct and good question. With something like Space Cadet, that song has a lot of moving parts to it. Yeah. And a lot of, you know, changes and tempo changes and style changes. Where did that start on the drawing board? Like, what was that songwriting process like? Yeah, so that one, the funny thing about that song is I started writing that years ago. I'm trying to think of how old it was. I definitely wrote it before I wrote Wildlife. I didn't finish it, but I I, I demoed it out. And um, I started off, you know, with a electric piano and that simple chord progression that's the beginning of the song um and 
I think I just like each section, I just kind of heard it in my head. And I think the funny thing about that song is, you know, it's about a kid whose mind is wandering and, and uh, isn't able to focus on things. And the song itself has all these different parts that keep going from one to another, kind of like a distracted person, <laughs> which is, you know, pretty much who I am. Um, Aren't we all though? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> but I kind of like how the song goes into all these different places and then, you know, it's unexpected and it finally gets to the chorus and then the chorus is in halftime and uh, that's the, you know, I'm traveling all across the universe part. But um, I just sort of heard a lot of those sounds in my head. So even the, you know, when it gets to the firing up the engines and the, the four on the floor kick drum kick comes in and then the the bass line on that part yeah i just started hearing it in my head and i figured it out on a keyboard and then uh heard like oh i hear some kind of bells or vibes happening over that and you know i would just kept adding things and then i had the song in this format where i had a you know some lyrics but not the whole thing written certainly not the second verse and not the bridge and all that and then i just kind of like went on to something else and i forgot about it and it, Oftentimes when I'm working on a new record, I start going through old demos of things and listening for stuff. And I heard that and I was like, wow, this, I don't, I can't believe I didn't finish the song. And so I sat down with it and started writing more words and adding a few other parts. And then the fun part about working on the computer is I can cut and paste. And I do that a lot where I just take a section and move it, you know, to the end of the song or where else, wherever else I want it. And that song was a lot of that, you know, cutting and pasting to try so to. So, are you doing the final mix? Or you, well, you're not mastering it, but are you doing? No, no, I don't. I don't do any of that because I'm not a good engineer. And uh, but I do. You know, we go in, and I have the demos there in case I want to refer to them to make sure we're not missing things that I've thought of in the demo. Um, but no, uh, this record, Liam Davis mixed it, and uh, it was engineered by Matt Hennessy at uh, VSOP Studios, and he he was amazing at getting sounds. And um, yeah, so I, I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm I'm definitely arranging the stuff uh, before we get into the studio, but then letting you're creating a skeleton for yeah what's to come. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and then and letting you know, I mean. Maybe some of it is a little too much on my end, but I definitely encourage people to to uh, critique what I've given them and, and add their own thing if if there's something better. Um, and oftentimes I don't like I don't think the drum part is great or something, and then Gerald will be like, "No, I really like that." Like, and I've been a unicorn in the verse. I just have the kick drum going like that over and over, you know, with eighth notes and. I, I thought he would add some other kind of drum part to it. And he's like, oh, no, I think that's actually really fun. So, you know, sometimes my just trying to get the idea across in the demo ends up being what ends up on the final recording. Something that I noticed about your music, and I've been sort of going on a Justin Roberts binge recently <laughs> in preparation for this, nice. is that a lot of your music has to deal with, like, having fun but something that i got out of it was there's always a song about someone who is an outcast someone who is not of the norm and yeah. 
you know, I, I'm diagnosed with cerebral palsy, and I've been, I, I was diagnosed at the age of two, and because I couldn't really play outside and do all the things that most kids did, I gravitated towards pop culture, movies, TV, and music to kind of get me through <laughs> everything. Yeah, so, absolutely, wow. So, what has your reaction been from the disability community? And also, do you agree that sometimes being an outcast is an underlying theme in some of your songs? You know, it, it, I totally agree that it is, and it's certainly not conscious, which is part of what I like about it. You know, I don't actively think I'm going to write a song about something like that, but when I think about it, you're right, and it's just I'm trying to write a song from a character's perspective sometimes, and I, that just ends up being the character that I choose. I mean, uh, I think about like, you know, oftentimes maybe it's like Pop Fly, the distracted outfielder, or Dodgeball, the kid that doesn't want to play the the game that everyone else is playing, um, or you know the in the case of I've been a unicorn that we were just talking about, I didn't really set out to write a song about that. I just kind of used the rhyme that came to my mind when I was trying to write a song about a unicorn. Uh, ever since the day that I was born, I've been a unicorn. And then I started thinking about what that meant. And I thought about like how everybody is, you know, an individual and everyone has their own, their own story. And like embracing that is kind of the key to, being who you are and uh you know a lot of us spend times pretending to be something that we're not occasionally but it always feels un feels unnatural and only when we actually who are who we are do other people feel welcome uh i i think i don't know um but i love that you hear that in the songs was there any other songs that you thought of when you were listening to things even um, something like even something as simple as like like lemonade like that whole record even that has a couple moments where it's like everybody is included yep. there's no there's no song where you're like everybody dance but everybody there's no call to action stuff because everybody can't do that yep yeah I think it's it's maybe unconscious but I think that everybody's included kind of uh, like the thing that you hear in Henrietta's hair, if you know that one. Absolutely. Um, like that kind of idea is really important to me in general. Um, and, you know, that song, I didn't write, start off thinking I'm going to write a song about that. I, I got um, an email from a mother who has, who had two twin daughters that had long hair. And she said, will you write a song about how it's fun to brush your hair? And I was thinking, it's not fun to brush your hair, I don't think. So like, I'm not gonna write about that. But I started writing about a girl who never brushed her hair. And then I just sort of let the story tell itself. And, you know, things started to live in her hair. And she welcomed them. And like, you know, they started fighting for space and all this. But it was like, it just became this story that I just naturally told without really knowing where I was going with it. I think that's often how I write a song is I don't know the ending when I'm beginning. 
So how has the disability community reacted to your songs? Because there's a lot of crossover with that community and your music. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's all individuals. Like, I don't think I've heard from, like, a large community of a particular disability necessarily. Um, But I do get, you know, I have even relationships with... uh, with um, people that have been long listeners to the music, and I've heard a lot about the ways that their family has utilized the music and continues to, um, and just how much it's meant to them as they've been on their own journey. Um, so it's been more individuals that have, you know, told me that story and um, and how the individual songs have have spoken to them. Are there any stories that stick out that you could share? I'm trying to think, um, I'm thinking of, uh, one family, um, with, uh, a child with, I think somewhat severe autism, but he, he, uh, is a artist and, and just draws really beautiful pictures. And I, a lot of times I think when he's working with his teacher, he's listening to music and they've just found that like my music just really helps him focus on what he's working on. And, um, you know, they've sent me some beautiful pictures that he's done. Um, that's so great. Yeah. Which is, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And I, I I think that kind of long-term listening is the kind of thing you don't expect as a children's musician. And it, you know, it, a lot of times kids listen for a certain age and then they grow out of it and they maybe never return to it. Sometimes they don't even remember they listened to it because they were young when they listened to it. But as you know, I'm trying to write songs that I want to listen to myself and I'm a big music fan like you are. And uh, the fun thing I think is when either kids have returned to the music when they've gotten older and heard it again in a new light, or people that just continue to listen to it as they're growing up and don't ever grow out of it, um, which is the ideal for me, like if that can I, happen. I love this because I didn't grow up with you. Right. You discovered it when you were already doing the like podcast? A, like a year or two ago, yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh no, I didn't know that. Okay, wow. And um, I mean, I, I'd heard of you, but as far as reaching out to you he's like what better timing to do this it's really it's really special yeah and that's amazing that you've revisited the a lot of the catalog that uh because you're probably more familiar with some of it than i am at this point (laughs) i i dig deep man i dig deep that's the best i do have you know i have a kid now and that has um caused me to occasionally listen to my own music because he'll put it on and uh he listens to other stuff too but um that's been interesting to hear it again and be reminded of either the recording itself that i haven't heard in a while because we play the song live but i haven't like listened to it and be like oh i love that part we don't do that live or whatever it is um but it's been fun to kind of rehear the songs and then hear what he responds to which sometimes you know are things that i I don't expect him to even like, cause I think I wrote it more for an adult anyway. Uh, he recently, I was playing a concert locally and he was going to be coming. And I said, 
you know, is there any song you want me to play? And he requested uh, Long As I Got You from Lemonade. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a, like a pretty simple song, but it's also, I don't know, it's got some strange <laughs> imagery in it to me. I don't really know where it came from, the the beginning part, um, which is, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of how it starts. Um, well, I can't even think of the beginning line. That's so funny. I me neither. And I just listened to it. But, but um, it has the part where it says, Mama said you're bleeding, boy, but there ain't no one like me. Oh, I know. I fell and skinned my knee is the beginning of the song. Um, just the song about like getting injured and then like, you know, climbing up into a tree where there's a lot of danger and all this stuff. Um, but it's all about, you know, the love of another person and that that being what's important. Um but uh, I just love that he responded to that and he listens to it and he knows what the words are and like, you know, it has weird imagery in there that I don't even understand myself fully, but I just like the way it sounds sometimes like, you know, walk out on the ocean, swim out on the sea, find a silver dollar and a go fish card, but there ain't no one like me. I don't know. It's just weird. Like, I don't know what that means exactly, but I like it. Or something about it that it I just like. sounds good yeah. yeah it sounds good and just the imagery of a go fish card like brings back some memories of childhood that i like i don't know but that's what's fun about writing songs is just pouring something out not really knowing always what you're getting at or where it's going and then seeing other people uh find connection in that that's the best thing in the world so something that I always ask every one of my guests that I have on this podcast is I want to turn the tables to you. Do you have any questions for me about what I do in my work just to create a conversation and see yeah. where we end up? I'd, lo- I'd love to hear a little bit more about your podcast and maybe how it's evolved from when you first started doing it to what you're doing now. Well... It originally started out as a four-hour live show. Oh, my gosh. Like, five days a week. And we were basically doing the radio DJ type thing, like taking phone calls, playing music. And then, you know, in around 2014 or so, I stopped the top 40 persona and just started one. I just wanted to start having conversations with people and being genuine with people and sharing stories with people. It's beautiful. And so, uh, can I ask another question? <laughs> Maybe I'll just interview you instead. No, yeah, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> yeah, what what are some of your, um, if, if you mentioned one or two of your favorite interviews that you've done and why? Or even just, you just, it doesn't have to be the only favorite, just something. No, I'll give you one of the most meaningful. Okay. In 2016, I got to talk to the co-creator of those Schoolhouse Rock Shorts oh on ABC. Gosh. Wow. And we talked to him about the genesis of all those classic shorts and how those came to be. And we just sat down with them for an hour and a half, just shooting the breeze about pop culture institution that he created. So I just got the chills from you saying that because that is my childhood. And that is usually the first answer I give when someone says, what influenced you as a children's musician? I say, Schoolhouse Rock, 
and especially Bob Doro and that mathematic rock stuff like uh, Three is the Magic Number and Zero My Hero and the, those sort of songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not only smart songs. I mean, they're great, so well-written songs, but they're, they have like this total heart to them that is just beautiful, but it's about math. I mean, I think it's the coolest combination. I've just recently been listening to that with my son again, and he's really into numbers anyway. And so like the way that they're teaching the mathematical tables is so incredible. But then you hear kind of the deep, like spiritual side to those songs that it's really, there's something just so beautiful about them. I find them incredibly moving. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I just can't believe they hired like this incredible jazz singer to like write songs about math. Like who, like how did they come up with that crazy idea of like, let's get Bob Duro to do it. Like, it doesn't make any sense. He was the, he was the musical director for all of them. So even I didn't if, know that. Okay, wow. I just thought he did the first the first album, but he yeah. he was the musical director for all of them. Yeah, that's incredible, and that's why. Like when I was in college, my friend Liam, who I still you know produced most of my records and plays in my band, um, he at some point found, I think it was an LP or a cassette of that, and I hadn't heard it since I was a kid, and like we listened to it in the dorm room. And we were listening to it and I was like, and it was around the time the De La Soul record came out. Yeah. Sampling that and hearing the original tracks, I was like, oh my gosh, this bass player is incredible. Like the groove is so cool. It's recorded so well. Like I hadn't heard all that part of it as a kid. I just, great. and it sounds so good. And then, yeah, to know that he did all of them. I mean, there's so many great examples of just iconic songs and yeah, he's using you know blossom deary and people that are you know just incredible musicians in their own right doing a kid song and he and i he and i were in touch but we never got to sit down for a chat but he was one of the nicest people that i've encountered that's incredible i yeah that stuff is is gold to me that is the it's there's nothing better so what's your favorite short (laughs) um it's hard to say, like, I think the ones that I saw the most, I mean, you know, I like, um, uh, even though this is not on the record that I mentioned that I'm just a bill song is mm, really incredible yeah. for teaching kids about that. But, uh, you know, even the, um, elementary, my dear, uh, that, that has the Noah's Ark thing. In yeah. It, um, I, I don't know. I, I find that one really beautiful. I mean, you know, you th- I think about their songs, uh, what's that song of mine that oh two by four which is on jungle gym it's the last song on jungle gym mm-hmm. um there's a thing about uh it raining for 40 days or raining for 40 days and 40 nights or something like that uh and now it's spring and flying kites i can't remember what the words are exactly but that totally comes not not from biblical for me it comes no, that's, from, that's Bob that's... It comes from, yeah it comes from listening to schoolhouse rock like that I just want like fitting that in was important to me and the, the the profundity of it came from like hearing it in Schoolhouse Rock to me. Like it just I love Did you ever hear the now we're going on a total tangent, but I don't care. Okay. Um did you ever hear the tribute album that they did in the nineties with a bunch I, of Indian Yeah, I think I did, but it's it's I it's not fresh in my head. Like Blind Melon Day Three a Magic Number and Yes. Like, I think we had that. What do you know? What year it was? Ninety six. Ninety six. 
96. Okay. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that would have been when I was in Minneapolis playing kids music and just that's a fantastic record. You should I'll have really... to check it out. Is it on? It's on streaming. I assume. Like I don't. I don't think maybe it is. Not. Yeah. Maybe it's not. That's cool. I kind of love those things that are not on streaming. <laughs> when I found it, a, when I found it at a thrift store again, because I used to have it, but when I found it again, I got all excited. The best. Yeah, you don't have that anymore. That used to be the joy of record collecting. <laughs> it's like you couldn't find everything everywhere. It's even to the point where I have a box set of every Schoolhouse Rock song, and it comes in like a, a loosely binder i have that too i love <laughs> I'm it out of that yeah and it's out of i don't think you can buy the recordings right i love that so yeah. much yeah i have it too that's and i also just i mean i recently they reissued the mathematic rock on on vinyl and i got that which i was excited about they did wow yeah so yeah i have that i gotta on. grab that it's very fun to have on a record because i was like yeah just brought back tons of memories but and, yeah yeah if there's anything that they can't even tell you is that we're officially friends. Yeah. No, you you said you wanted it to be a conversation. I think we got there. <laughs> it's fun. So what do you hope people take away from your music, just like you did with like Schoolhouse Rock and other things that were cornerstones for you as a kid? Yeah, I think, well, for me, the greatest, I, I you know, I love hearing people say, oh, you know, they're dancing around the living room to my songs and things like that. But I recently got this fan letter from a dad uh, in Chicago who's um, was a stay at home dad and his kids grew up listening to my music and they're still listening to it now. And uh, he just shared a bunch of different ways that the songs like became part of their lives. And one of them was, I think, every night for a while, like during the pandemic, when they were going to bed, they would listen to How Lucky We Are together, which is from Lemonade. And it's a song about like camping in the backyard and just thinking about being grateful for the moments that we have in this life. And uh, just the idea that his family, like every night as a nightly ritual was listening to that song together, that just like really touches me because it's amazing to know your music's being used in that kind of way where there's tons of love in the room. Oh, that makes me so happy to hear. Because when you started doing this, like, 25 years ago, when you released that first record, you didn't know where we are going to go. No. <laughs> In fact, I didn't think I was even going to be a children's musician. I just was trying to record the songs to have them. And I was going off. I went to graduate school and something completely different was not planning on being a kid's musician or a musician at all. And, uh, and then one thing led to another and I found myself like everyone, everything was telling me I should be doing this. Are you glad about your decision? I am. Yeah, no, it's, it's been amazing. I mean, not only uh, making all the music, but my friendships with the musicians I play with and uh, just getting to travel, you know, sometimes the world we played in Hong Kong one time and Canada and like, just uh, getting out there and meeting people all across the country and performing and, you know, meeting families and hearing stories about songs that I wrote that touch people's lives is, it means a lot. That's what it's all about. Well, I'm going to be honest here. I think I made a new friend today. Definitely. And I'm, and... I'm so blown away because I, I, 
I didn't know the history of your podcast or, or also your love of a lot of the same things that I do that I love in terms of music. And uh, it's been incredible. What a discovery for me. So where can people find you? Where can people check you out? Yeah. So my website is justinrobertsmusic.com and that has links to uh, videos on YouTube and my email list is probably the best way to stay in touch with me and the social media accounts, which I do my best to stay up on, but we talked about that. It can be kind of a hard yes, thing. Yes, we did. Yes. I do my best, but um, but uh, yeah, people can find links to my music and all that and uh, all at the, what, the website. Well, thank you so much for joining us and I hope that we can talk again soon. That sounds great. Thank you for having me. Thank you.